Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is Monday, October 9th, a little bit after 5 p.m. California on a flight in, I don't know, 14-something hours to good old Atlanta, road Atlanta, Petit Le Mans. My first time since I don't remember whether it was 2018, maybe? Anyways, I can't wait to go back. <sighs> IMSA season finale, that will be dominating the rest of the week. But before we do that, let's knock out an episode of the Weekend IndyCar brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire, the first and the last beloved parts of the Anderson Promotions-led USF Championships. So, decent amount of stuff going on right now. Nothing too, too crazy at the moment. Still have some silly season items to resolve. Got a bunch of questions. Not a huge word count, according to our friend Jerry Suduth, who puts the questions together for us every week. But the fun part, or at least I'm receiving it as fun, is... While there are not a crazy amount of words, there's a lot of questions. So I think what that means is we get to do a rapid fire episode, and I will do my best to do just that, get through as many as I can, as quickly as I can. Uh, and also have to finish packing and getting the house ready to be gone for a little while. So anyways, why don't we do just that? Why don't we just get rocking and rolling, see if we can turn this episode into a sub one hour thing. And again, famous last words, I always fail when it comes to predicting how much time these will take, but I think we might be in the neighborhood of nailing this one. So we're going to do that. We're going to start off with Patrick Gaffney. He says, Alex Polo decides to not join Errol McLaren. McLaren had three senior people leave in August. Now Craig Hampson is leaving. Is this all a sign of something being wrong? People just don't want to work there anymore, or is this normal turnover? And am I looking for poop in a field of unicorns? Look at that, Patrick. Um, I'd say we're a little bit of both. Uh, some of those departures that were announced or confirmed in August, some of them were team-based decisions. Don't know if I agree with all of them, but hey, it's not my team. But some were team-based. No, at least one was the decision of the individual. For the one we just had with Craig Hampson confirming his upcoming departure. Haven't spoken with Craig. Have heard from a couple who have, who've said, what's he doing? Where's he going? That's been the big question. And... That's another one coming up here in just a moment. can tell you that from what I've heard, he's going on vacation. That's where he's going. And I think it's been a little while since Craig and his family and kids have truly had just some non-racing influenced time. And having reached this point as a single individual back when I was 30 or 31 and said, hey, need a break actually chose to change careers, ended up coming back. But I reached a point where I said, you know, time to hit the pause button and hope that I regain all of my energy and passion and whatnot that I felt was a little bit fleeting. So I made a pretty significant career change, ended up meeting uh, Shabrell, my wife, uh, and a lot of great things happened during that time. So that's me. I don't know if any of that is Craig, just saying that it's not uncommon to do this for a long time and come to the realization that, you know what, I need to do something else. Uh, I just need to have a change of scenery, uh, maybe recharge those batteries. Who knows what it is? So again, haven't had a chance to speak with him. I hope to just things have been a little busy on my end as well. And with some of the new stuff going on at home, uh, life's been way, way hectic kind of back to what it used to be. So I uh, hope to have more here on this, but another aspect as well, Patrick, and I'd be remiss if I didn't include this, have heard that the layers of bureaucracy that have come in 
as the team has become more and more McLaren and less than Air McLaren SP, Schmidt-Peterson, the more the team has become heavily UK-based, directed, steered, or advised, if not all those things, hasn't necessarily jived with everybody's sensibilities over here. So it'd be awesome if there was a single answer to everything, Patrick, but indeed there's some individuality in all things. I would not paint the team as being in any sort of crisis and everyone's trying to get out of there. I think they've actually been really impressive in how much new, younger energy and blood that they've brought in who said, hey, absolutely want to work there. This is pretty cool. So, plus, they have some long-standing veterans of the team, not just of IndyCar, but veterans of the team who are still there, still rocking and doing great stuff. So, yeah, um, early in the offseason, right? Still have the better part of three months left in the year. So, I'm hoping we won't hear of more. But if there are, we might need to revisit this topic. Uh, our pal Jeremy Davis, the world's biggest Scott Dixon fan, says with Hampson leaving McLaren, is Ganassi calling him nonstop? Um, I can tell you this. <laughs> I've had more than a few people from other teams, uh, some of them folks in charge of teams, some of them engineers or technical directors, all call or text and ask the same exact thing, Jeremy. Where is he going? Is he available? What's going on? So, I mean, this is just silly, right? When someone of Craig Hampson's proven capabilities and stature hits the market, even if he's maybe not looking to be on the market right now, but when a guy like that is known to be available at some point in time in the future, you have seemingly, you should have everybody saying, hey, what do you know? Come over here, work for me. Let me give you money, make us better. And yeah, so as I said, I hope to get in touch with Craig here and learn a little bit more about what he's hoping to do in the near future. Wrote in a little column-ish type thing on racer.com today about litigation being one of the, the new favorite toys within the IndyCar paddock. Lots of lawsuits going on. Heard nothing to suggest Craig is uh, part of that or anything like that would happen with him. But I would expect, as I wrote, whatever his non-compete clause duration happens to be, even if he and the team are splitting on very peaceful and happy terms, he's not the kind of guy Aaron McLaren or any of his former employers would want going to work right away for one of their rivals because he'll make them better and make his Aaron McLaren team make life harder for them. So we'll find out. Well, I don't know if we'll find out, but we'll find out by action of whenever he might move to whatever team. That'll give us an idea, whatever the non-complete duration, non-compete duration might be. But yeah, don't know what it is. Not sure if he's exactly pining to go straight back to work for someone else. Doesn't sound like it. But more than anything, Jeremy, yeah. Uh, any team wanting to be better than they are, even if they're the reigning champions at Chip Ganassi Racing, I am positive, would love to have him in their fold. Uh, you also say, any chance you know what car driver Ganassi has uh, planned to use that DHL sponsorship? Um, I don't. Uh, I heard uh, by way of some folks talking uh, at a particular racetrack that might be headed towards that Alex Pillow championship winning defending number 10 car, but I'd also be totally not surprised if we saw it spread around on multiple cars there. So I heard the 10 don't hold me to it because it was not a formal conversation I had. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Heard it might be the 10. Uh, if it pops up on Linus Lundqvist's car at some point, that wouldn't strike me as totally crazy but my ears are open jeremy uh ryan turfstra here we go thanks pal uh you ask our f1 drivers wimps find it hard to believe the uh, qatar grand prix is worse than what indycar drivers suffer through for those who didn't see it 
the heat and humidity on Sunday's full-length F1 race was darn near debilitating for a lot of the drivers. Uh, and you say, can't believe it's worse than what IndyCar drivers suffer through. Uh, and those F1 folks have power steering, which we don't in IndyCar. You say, yes, I'm trying to get you in trouble. Why do you ask? Uh, wimps? No. <laughs> um, these are folks who are just as elite athletes as an IndyCar whatever driver. So, no, it just sounds like the conditions were crazy. And also keeping in mind that they have the halo, but not the aero screen. So there was onrushing air coming into their helmet and at least available to their torsos. We know that many IndyCar drivers make use of cool shirts to bring their core temperature down. But this just sounds like the absolute upper limit of reasonability. Like I think back, Ryan, I know you're sending this in as a bit of a joke, but, um, I think back to boy, what was it? 2012, 13, I forget at Fontana season finale ish. So this was, you know, second, first, second, whatever year of the, Blardy W12, well before halos and aero screens, and it was almost too much. I mean, it was legitimately 105, 106, 107, and if we went there with aero screens, uh, I just don't know if we'd be able to do the race. Um, granted, with the cool shirts, it helped somewhat, but yeah, similar type scenarios that would have tipped things over the edge, so yeah, uh, I have no question about the fitness of F1 drivers. And yeah, uh, you you sent in a funny. Um, Ed Joris, you say, are there any heat-related conditions that would cause IndyCar to postpone a race? You mentioned like 100 degrees at Mid-Ohio or maybe Iowa. Mid-Ohio comes to mind for sure. Barber, too. Any of the really super high physical work rate, sustained work rate tracks where you're constantly turning braking having to heave the car around and control it all without power steering yeah if we're talking some sort of combo of crazy high ambient plus throw in something nasty like high humidity too oh boy and yeah in iowa uh, i mean granted you'd hope that maybe what one of the events is a night race next year it'd be less of a concern ed but yeah um this is something IndyCar thinks about, would need to continue to think about. What is a threshold where you go, okay, uh, this might not be a problem on lap 25, but what about lap 50 or whatever track it is and however many laps it might be? What are we thinking the likely outcome is going to be? And if it is brutally hot, then yeah. Uh, also keeping in mind, the cool shirt systems are not mandatory. Those are strictly voluntary. Not every team makes use of them. Not every driver wants them. But that, to me, is the final step in the aero screen development side where you go, okay, could we have uh, our version of what happened last weekend flare up and put us on the brink of drivers not being able to finish a race, more than not finishing the race, but just be in a high state of risk of physical exhaustion, heat stroke, and otherwise. What do we have to combat that if we were to go forward with a race? And have we done everything to give our drivers the best possible chance? Still feels like something IndyCar needs to embrace with both hands, Ed, but we're not quite there. Um, Peter Carlson. How you doing, Peter? You say a few questions from me this week. Well, thank you. Uh, given Romain Grosjean's latest quote move and taking Andretti to litigation, what are your thoughts on this case and his chances? Um, it's an interesting one. It would set a precedent here, and who knows, maybe elsewhere in sports, I'm not sure, but as I have understood the case and described it to you in a podcast, what, three weeks ago or so, two, three weeks ago here, the story I've heard been told many, many times had no real question about as to whether it was valid, for those who don't know, involves Andretti Global, that we now call them, Andretti Autosport, Romain Groschamp saying, hey, yes, let's continue to work together. Let's come up with a contract extension 
they did that, you'd have to assume that negotiations took place and a price point was determined, right? If you're going to agree to continue to work together beyond this season, signed a two-year deal starting 2022, completed in 2023. If you're going to sign a new deal, you'd have to believe that Roman, his manager, whomever, and Andretti, whether it's Michael directly or someone else, came up with the terms, agreed to whatever terms, came up with a dollar figure that they were both willing to go forward with, and that was presented to Romain in a contract, which he signed, has been told many, many times, and returned to the team. It's happening somewhere around the time where Romain started having a lot of on-track difficulties, crashing a lot, and things started to feel bad and like they did in 2022, where both sides were, by and large, really grumpy. And this, as I understand allegedly led Andretti to choose to hold off on signing that contract to make it 100% valid and then decided to continue holding off on that and never signed and executed that agreement to continue working together under, again, you would assume it's a multi-year deal. So just with that little quick telling... The part that's interesting to me here, and this is maybe my thoughts, which I don't know how deep this is, but if you and I say, hey, we're going to continue working together, come up with those terms and a dollar amount, put it on paper or digital, and you hand that to me, Peter, and I sign it, and you ultimately choose not to, I am really fascinated to find out what a arbitrator decides is real binding or not real and not binding all those steps i just mentioned to a non-lawyer legal person like myself sounds like a heck of a lot of intent and desire for us to keep working um if you've gone through all those steps and stop just short of the final signature to make this a binding contract, I guess as we would all understand them to be, did doing everything up to the point of that final signature, does that indicate something? A promise, an intent, a who knows? Or from a legal perspective, it's all that irrelevant without that signature from the team side, from the employer's side, to validate it, execute it, something, it. That's the part that I'm so curious to know. Because if, by chance, arbitrator says we side with Groschon, wow, uh, I think <laughs> teams, at least in our little series, and who knows if this has a wider ramifications, I think this would lead IndyCar teams at a minimum to really, 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 really think twice about offering contract extensions unless they are a thousand percent sold, right? If it's a, hey, Scott McLaughlin, we didn't know what we were getting, but we thought you were good, but we didn't fully know. And you showed up and you were amazing. And now you're actually the highest placing Penske driver in the championship in 2023 holy cow there's no question we want to hold on to you here's an extension here's a number sign it off we go that i think you'd go yep without a doubt holding on to that guy rock on uh think of andretti and kyle kirkwood right i think he signed a two-year deal 23 24 again regardless knowing that this kid obviously andretti's only race winner of the year double race winner actually could be drawing some interest once he became a free agent. If they let him become a free agent, he wanted to become a free agent at the end of 2024. Well, team said, you know what? Hey, let's extend you. Let's do this now instead of waiting. He obviously was a, a willing party to that. Sign the extension. Off you go. Unless we're talking about no-brainers which I think at the time they were talking about doing the extension with Roma, it felt like a no-brainer. It also then backtracked pretty heavily. 
So I'm not sure because I'm not a lawyer or anything like it, but I am really curious to find out if all those steps, but just stopping short of the final one is enough to make an arbitrator feel like, yeah. And again, an arbitrator judge or similar, um, would they feel sympathetic to Roman go, Hey, yep. They, uh, they clearly wanted you and whether they signed it or didn't, you're the winner or they say, Hey, wonderful that you did all those steps. But until that was signed by the team, all those steps leading up to that point, meaningless. I don't know, but I do feel like this, this could, I guarantee you a lot of teams are curious to find out the same thing because it will change how they approach things. If this falls in Groshan's favor. Uh, you ask, what is the likely settlement? No clue. Guarantee you it's money, right? Uh, some sort of, you must allow me to continue to drive a race car for you. I, I feel really confident in saying that ship has set sail. Uh, I don't, even if they said tomorrow, come on back. I don't know if he would want to. Um, that's just my own guessing, but things were pretty dead fractured and, and you name it by the time the, uh, season finale was completed, like really and truly, uh, <laughs> there was nothing left there to, at least as I saw it, nothing left there to fix and continue with. So my guess is money. What amount? No clue, but yeah. Let's see what else. Um, just looking at this. Um, say one more, Roman. His grievance. He states that he intends to continue in IndyCar. Will any team want to touch him? Given the quote meltdown he's had in 2023. Say seemingly the only option for 24 would be with Coin or Foyt. Quite a step down for his ego. Ah, I put in the little legal pontification story today that Hunko's Hollinger Racing is where I know his chances to be the best. Um, don't be surprised if that's where he ends up. Um, not saying other places aren't options for him, but of the options, uh, I know from all the stuff that I heard over the final races of the year that uh, I only heard that of all the various places where he could drive in 24, that more time was spent within Hunkos Hollinger Racings, whatever you, transporters, motor coaches, whatever, more time was spent there than anywhere else. So that should not be ignored as a potential landing spot for him. Peter, thanks for sending that in. Let's keep rocking and rolling here. Michael Bragg, you say, is it possible that Miles Rowe will be at AJ Foyt Racing? in maybe two seasons as a precursor to a Team Penske seat. That is exactly what this whole relationship is designed for, Michael. Um, assuming Miles does well in Indian NXT, I would suggest he is a one-year NXT and off-to-IndyCar guy. If he needs a second year... Um, do I think Penske Entertainment through the Force Indie program and the Race for Quality and Change program that Penske funds, do I think they would bankroll a second year if he showed that he really needed it? Yes. I can tell you there's a unmistakable desire for Miles to rock his way through NXT in 2024 and then move to IndyCar with Foyt in a third entry in 25. So that is a big part of this whole relationship as it has been formed and the intent and what Penske wants back is to help the Foyt team, tune the Foyt team up and get them to a place where by 25, they are confident they could send a miles row to the team in a third Foyt slash Penske Force Indy entry and know that the quality of the crew, engineering, the build of the car, just 
it will be Penske-esque. So that's the whole goal for what Penske is looking to get back here. And that's the plan that's in motion. Uh, Daniel Ferris. How you doing, Daniel? Feels like it's been a little while. Uh, you say, Marshall, hashtag me personally. Just a hypothetical question for you. What's the perfect car count? The right number of races. And lastly, the right number of engine manufacturers that would, in your opinion, make IndyCar the envy of the racing world. Say, for me, 30 cars, 20 races, and four engine manufacturers, including Chevy Honda, an American, and a European manufacturer, would be perfect. Say, best you, your wife, and the cats. Thanks, Daniel. I don't know if I'm, I'm there on 30 cars. Heading to Petit Le Mans this weekend with 11 million cars. Um, love them all. All right, that's a lie. I don't really love the LMP3 cars, but uh, love them all. Appreciate the teams and appreciate the drivers. There is a thing, though, where you go, it might be a little bit too much. Why too much? What makes it too much? can only really stay on top of a limited number of things at the same time. And while, again, I realize that IMSA with 50-plus cars at many of its, you know, the full class, everybody showing up events. It's a lot. Never, I never feel like I can stay on top of all the classes, all the entries. What, hey, what happened to the person who finished seventh? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> Why did so-and-so go two laps down at this race? And you're like, uh, boy, unless they were a front runner and we saw the bad thing that happened, I don't know. I just, I fear if we start getting into 30 car grids, and I know we're not far away. I know we just had 27. Looking at 30 cars full time, just feel like we're starting to give up quality in terms of quantity. Might have already hit that point this past season. Not exactly of the Formula One mindset of 10 teams, 20 cars, no more. But I do think once we start getting beyond 24 to 26 cars yeah we're we're trying to find people to drive them compared to there being 24-ish truly excellent drivers not saying they all have to be amazing race winning caliber drivers we certainly need homes for some of the paying drivers it's what helps keep every major racing series afloat even f1 that has folks who bring an awful lot of money to some of these entries but yeah uh, give me i'd rather have 24 maybe 26 at most really high caliber and yeah uh maybe be surprised if we have some extra entries at a couple of rounds 20 races yeah i know it wouldn't hurt in terms of keeping cars on track more often another thing that i also am cognizant of I don't think IndyCar is going to move off of the timing, Daniel, of the March, early March-ish start and middle, no later than middle of September finish. Avoid NFL and the ratings destruction that that causes once IndyCar is going up against, uh, well, NASCAR, <laughs> up going up against the NFL, but also... NASCAR owns a decent portion of February uh, with the Daytona 500. IMSA owns a decent part of January with the Rolex 24. Unless you're going to very specific places in January and February, I don't know if the temperatures at some of the tracks. How's this? It's a temperature thing, and it's also a track suitability thing, and yeah, uh, there aren't a ton of places IndyCar would go where you go, aha, there's a perfect track for that at that time. So it does just compress things into a March to September thing with the September being an artificial artificial end of the season. So, yeah, 17 to 18 works for me. 20, I feel like we could do, but that's going to be pretty busy during a packed time frame there. Yeah. I wouldn't mind having another race or two, but yeah, if we get beyond 20, brother, I think we're we're in the doo-doo. As for engine manufacturers, I think three would be enough. Uh, four, again, I'm not against it at all. I mean, heck, 
love if we had 10, but it's also another quality thing. Uh, usually there's one or two that do well in a four manufacturer dynamic three. I feel like we could have two to three doing well pretty much at all times. So yeah, I mean, the Chevy and Honda is amazing. I'd love to have a European manufacturer of some sorts. A lot of those manufacturers are based in Germany, not exclusively, but again, a lot of German manufacturers got some options elsewhere. If it's another Asian manufacturer, I wouldn't mind. I mean, look, I wouldn't mind anything, but yeah. Uh, if we could just get to three, uh, our life would be so much better. So yeah, give me 24 to 26, give me about 18 races, maybe 20. If we really want to push hard, give me one more engine manufacturer and I'm good to go. All right, let's keep rocking and rolling here. Dave Heisen asks, why did the Toyota Gazoo engine deal go south? As Roger Penske has told me multiple times, he felt like they were super close. And then Toyota USA had a CEO change. And the relationship that was seemingly expediting things kind of came to an end. And the desire and willingness to keep it going with the new leader, at least for now, is no longer there. Um Having spoken with Roger when it went south, he did say it was more a feeling of not now than never. So it's not a bad question for me to pose here sometime soon just to see, Dave, if it's maybe uh, had any new life breathed into it. Uh, Steve Grinstead, say, what a thought. Roger Penske would have found an engine sponsor for Indy NXT by now. Any speculation on your part as to why not? Also, kindly, again, says best of luck to your wife, Shabrell, and the cats. And hey, I've actually, it's a double cat episode. I've got Rosie sleeping over my shoulder, and Rocky is laying on top of uh, the table here, staring out the window, uh, sleeping as well. So, hmm, okay. Uh, Yeah, value is the issue here, Steve. Now... I don't want to paint a false portrait and say that back when Indy Lights uh, was on NBCSN, was on cable, I would just say that NBCSN was a place we not only saw IndyCar races happen, but here locally, uh, it's where I watched the Golden State Warriors play home games and away games and lots of good content there, but since that went away and Indy Lights, now Indy NXT, is strictly on Peacock, uh, Brother Steve, I, I don't even know what the ratings are, but I can guarantee you they are not a number that would make any engine manufacturer say, yep, I am all the way in. And you go, well, but wait a minute, aren't there bigger things that might be more attractive to them? You go, sure. Well, we race at the Indy 500. Okay, we don't do that either. Um, Other than trying to pitch whatever larger crowds might be seen at some of the events where these little Dallara IL-15 AER turbo four-cylinder things happen to race, there's just nothing I can think of, brother, uh, to put in front of a manufacturer to get them to jump in on badging a motor, branding a motor with their name that isn't theirs and has no road relevance to what they sell or what they do. So when Mazda, who paid for this, uh, was actively and heavily involved in the Mazda Road to Indy, made total sense. With them gone, we've been through this cycle before, right? Uh, The Infinity Pro Series, IPS, which I think is also a bowel disease. I might be wrong. Um, Hey, Infinity, right? The luxury side of Nissan. They eventually pulled out and, well, those were just Dallaras with engines, V8s. Now, granted, you know and I know they were Nissan V8s, but no company spending money. Therefore, they just kind of became these useful little things that had no commercial value. Um, The AER, little Turbo 4s, Love them. Fantastic. But Mazda's gone. No one's wanted to step in. 
if this were to change, Steve, it would change with a Chevrolet or a Honda saying, you know what? We also want to power India NXT and we're going to use our motor from whatever and plug that in. That's where we get a quote engine sponsor. But for what this is with the absence of TV ratings and anything else that makes pure marketing sense, knowing that it's a purebred racing engine, you know, just be putting a sticker on it that says it's yours. I think it's hard to find the real connection that would drive a manufacturer to want to do that. Let a manufacturer put something that is really theirs in the cars. I think that's where uh, this becomes possible. But again, that would involve an engine change. Maybe that would coincide with whenever a decision's made to go with a new chassis. Why don't we go to Lori Carter? How you doing, Lori? Say, Marshall, not really a question, but I want to share that. I went to see the Dan Weldon documentary premiere in India a few days ago. I highly recommend people watch it when it comes out on HBO. It's very well done. He said, I love seeing footage of Dan that I hadn't seen before. He was my favorite, and I miss him a lot. Uh, you're also sweet enough to say you love the podcast. It's always a highlight to my week. Well, I love the podcast, too. That's why I do it realize we're not like too far away maybe by the end of the year we might be at episode 1500 <laughs> 1500 of these and i've actually slowed down on them a bit so oh boy anyways appreciate you Lori. yeah i haven't seen it can't wait to see it been meaning to speak with Susie weldon for a while now to do something for the podcast here talk about it um and her boys so we've spoken about it just uh would like to do this as a conversation that y'all might be able to uh enjoy and and take whatever from so thanks for sharing this and yeah i'm with you i i cannot wait to see it and yeah uh if, if you knew dan weldon or even if you just met the guy once um you probably loved him so i'm with you um miss him and a lot of others who, uh, boy, made life pretty pretty fun and amazing. Mike Jablo, you say, MP, do you think NASCAR's 2024 Cup race at Iowa is an attempt to undermine one of IndyCar's most successful events? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I think Iowa has had a lack of major events, really big attention-drawing events. And so if I were Iowa Speedway, I'd be absolutely doing everything I could to get a NASCAR date. So I think it makes great sense, first of all. Um, and I'm not saying this to try and be ongoing critic, but the Iowa doubleheader had elements, has had elements that have been successful at least in my brain, when I think of IndyCar's most successful events for the year, it didn't come to mind. So maybe that's just my fault, a fault with me, Mike, compared to reality. But, um, yeah, uh, if I'm NASCAR, if I'm Iowa, uh, I'm absolutely trying to get cup there. So I'm happy that they did, and I'm hoping that it kicks ass because the more tracks that have big, strong races – the better it is for all of us in the sport. Dave Heisen, you say the cost of a damper program per team estimated question mark. Why has this golden calf been protected from a fan's perspective? What you can't see can hurt you. I propose that each manufacturer develop their own shock programs under parameters and a cap. The tech is out there and road car relevant. You also say, can we have some arrow? We can see, please, the UAK 18 2.0 before the spec series turns into a club series. Okay, a little bit cryptic in your writing, Dave, but I do thank you. Um, okay, so hey, we hear the dampers, they cost a lot and we can't really see them, so let, let's just make that spec. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to advocate dave because this is the one giant area teams are allowed to develop to make their cars better than the other teams 
and to individualize the handling of the cars to each driver's liking. And so if we're talking about, hey, let's take away the one final thing that really allows a Ganassi to beat a Penske or, if we think about the last race uh, of the year, a Hunkos Hollinger, right? Crazy fast. And obviously, Monterey's a place where handling's huge. <laughs> and so, obviously, they got their damping super awesome. And hey, Dale Coyne Racing at a number of tracks with a sophomore driver and a rookie IndyCar race engineer. That kid was a rocket at some places. Why? Well, again, a lot of things that go into nailing the setup, but you are not going to be super good running towards the front if you don't have a damper solution that is awesome. So this is the thing that allows the heavyweight teams to distinguish themselves among heavyweights, and it also allows the smaller teams not always, but from time to time, to shock the living you-know-what out of the heavyweights. So if we want to take that away, okay, we can, but Penske's still going to be Penske. Ganassi's still going to be Ganassi. I mean, the, the best teams are still going to be the best. I think what this does, though, is really strip away the opportunity for the midfield and the tail enders to have much of a chance to ever fight among the big teams. So, yeah, uh, what we're proposing here is effectively going the full NASCAR Cup route where nothing, uh, uh, nothing uh, is is really open for development. And, yeah, uh, that might be the point where I uh, pull the ripcord and, and punch out here. Um, we can see the arrow. Like, there's, yeah, uh, so maybe it's just wanting to freshen the look of the cars, which I don't think look old, but I would agree with you, Dave, that having stared at the UAK 18 for 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, six years now, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to push for UAK 25. Cause I don't think we're going to get anything seriously for 24, but, uh, 25 seems to me like, it's reasonable. Let's go to Barry Lee. MP, you wanted me to remind you after the season was over to revisit the topic of total time spent the pits for each team and see how that correlates with how they finish in the points. And yet again, I'm feeling like, what's up with that? I'm feeling like, I don't know if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live, but, uh, uh, oh, Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay, we ran out of time again feeling like the uh you're my Lindsay buckingham um here you know what i'm gonna make a marker so i can edit this because i'll need to cut it down because you don't want to really sit here and listen to me click around trying to find things but dang it i'm gonna do it let me go find this information i hope it's readily here and uh i'll be right back okay we're back <laughs> barry i'm so sorry man like when i say i suck i mean it like i it's not false modesty like Modesty, modesty, whatever. All I have in front of me is coffee. Like, I have not consumed any alcohol in quite some time, but you wouldn't know it from listening. Granted, I do have a thing of Purell hand sanitizer on my right that my wife put in the office. And granted, I haven't used this bottle, but I could probably drink some of it. So there you go. There's some alcohol. Okay, maybe I shouldn't. She would whoop me and rightfully so. Okay. So we are comparing here. So interesting, and this might be stuff you already know because who knows, maybe someone else reported it. But the absolute leaders in terms of pit stops, um, pit stop performance award P1, Will Power, the number 12 Team Penske entry. So P1 in pit stop performance awards and standings here. Seventh in the IndyCar Championship. P2, and this is where we start reflecting well. P2, Scott Dixon, Chip Ganassi Racing, the number nine Wolfpack. Where did Dixie finish in the championship? P2. Hey, uh, 
Who is P3 in the Drivers' Championship? That would be the pilot of the good old Thirsty Threes Mobile, Team Penske, Scott McLaughlin. Where did they... Hey, P3 in pit stop performance. All right, P4 in pit stop performance. That would be the number five, Pato Award, Air McLaren, Chevy. Where did our guy Pato Award... Hey, he's fourth in the Drivers' Championship. All right, let's go back and look. P5 in the Pit Stop Performance Award, Barry. Joseph Newgarden, that number two, Team Penske Chevy. Drivers, P5, Joseph Newgarden. Uh, we, we're getting some pretty good alignment here. P6 in the Drivers' Championship, Marcus Erickson, that number eight, Ganassi Honda. P6 in Pit Stop, not Marcus Erickson. Actually, P8 for the number eight. So, six in the championship, eighth in pit stop. Number six actually belongs to that number 45. Ray Hall let him in Lanigan. Christian Lungard. So, Christian finished sixth in the driver standings, eighth in the driver standings. I apologize. Finished eighth in the standings for the drivers and sixth in the standings for pit crew. So here's the biggest outlier, right? P7 in Pit Stop Performance Award. That would be Alex Pillow, that number 10, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda. He's your champion. So P1 in drivers, but P7 in Pit Stop. Oddly enough, who is P7 among drivers? Will Power. Yet P1 at pit stop. So these two have truly just inverted their driver standings and pit stop performance award standings. So probably the the biggest one that I would say is going to jump out here. Uh, Let me see. Ninth in pit stop award. Is that number 27? Andretti Global, as we'll call it now. Honda driven by our guy, Kirk Kirkwood. P11 in the standings, so not too far from the P9 in the pit stop awards and then we'll go to p10 we'll finish here p10 and pit stop award performance award barry that being the number six air mclaren chevy driven by alexander rossi and rossi finished ninth in the drivers so pretty darn close to that as well so yep polo and power power being your 2022 champ polo being your 2023 champ interesting to see their somewhat divergent Pit lane performance award standings and such. Noting that our guy Will Power winless in his year where he tried to defend his title, and yet fastest car in pit lane, Polo, who won more than anybody this past season with five victories, uh, indeed was not really among the fastest on pit lane. So, uh, Appreciate you asking this because finally, sorry it took so long, uh, we got a not only an answer to your question, but it was somewhat revealing. Uh, Jamie Carr, how you doing, pal? Oh, it was great to hear that my guy Chris Wheeler, Chrissy Perdana, who else? Uh, some other knuckleheads, Ryan Caminiti from the Prude headed over to your little hometown and just serenaded you with love last weekend because you deserve it, pal. Um, he says the hybrid test at Indy, it's new technology and I assume a change in weight and balance of the car. How will this test be different and similar to a test that uh, where nothing had changed with the engine? You say, will there be collaboration between teams and manufacturers? On the latter part, yes, absolutely. There has been all along. Um, this is meant to be the, not the final test of the hybrid, but this is meant to be the one that closes the loop, Jamie on circuit type where the testing has gone down so been on we'll call it a street course that's what the testing at sebring has been for simulates street races that's why teams have used it for so long to uh, develop their street setup so we've had testing there had road course testing with it at barber and road america it's been at gateway on a short oval And now it's heading to a super speedway. So this is really meant to be the okay. Done some of this testing in the past with the 
former meant-to-be-new 2.4-liter motors, which have been put to sleep, but didn't have the actual full hybrid energy recovery system in place, not what we're going to be using next season. This is the first time on the two-and-a-half-mile Indianapolis Motor Speedway Oval where everything that is meant to be raced next year will be in the cars and off and running. Now, are we talking about uh, the motors themselves, the 2.2-liter twin-turbo V6 that we're carrying over? Are these going to be full 2024 spec? I don't think so, right? I would expect more development to be done and Right? There's still some more horsepower and fuel efficiency and all kinds of stuff that'll be going on there, but the motors will be strong, and more importantly, the energy recovery systems will be full spec of what they're meant to be for next year. Um, this is where the real interest comes in how they go, um, the speeds that they achieve. Um, I don't believe IndyCar is going to be sharing any of that, but as long as folks are welcome to be on the turn two viewing mounds, which I believe they will, at least for Wednesday for the ROP test. I don't know about Thursday or Friday during the hybrid testing, but, you know, <laughs> folks have watch uh, either watches or phones that have stopwatch functions, and you can do the little conversions of what 40-whatever seconds per lap uh, turns out to be in terms of miles per hour, so... I'm told to not expect outrageous speeds. That's one thing I've been told by, we'll just say one person who's really smart. Um, 215s, 220s, who knows? Uh, would IndyCar be conservative in this test? I'd think so, right? Not trying to do 245 miles an hour <laughs> first time with the full complete hybrid system um, and all that extra weight. But anyways, be interesting to see, Jamie. Um, yeah, weight, extra weight in the car at a road course, street course, it's going to add some lap time, but it probably won't be outrageous in a big two and a half mile place where you're carrying around that extra weight the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It can slow you down a bit. So that's a part that'll be really interesting to see. Also, again, just to couch this a little bit. Will IndyCar intentionally say, hey, we're not going to attack this with 100% power, uh, 100% everything. Let's be smart and conservative. We'll find out. be interesting to see. But, yeah, um, balance is certainly going to be something teams are going to have to work on. Um, there's a lot of questions here that still need to be answered, not just in what they learned, Jamie, during the on-track part, but there are aerodynamic things that need to be done to compensate for the extra weight at the back of the car, meaning do we need to add more downforce towards the front, more leverage to create some balance if balance is lost. Super speedway trim, road and street course. Again, there's a lot of questions to be answered here. I um, feel like we're maybe getting close to those answers being uh, in a place where we could get them, but yeah, uh, TBD. My friend, TBD, to be determined. Uh, let's see. We're almost done here. So let's rock and roll through the final ones. Steve Bonnick. Oh, my goodness. I've got a couple of Prudators right in a row. MP, uh, I hope you're bright and your furry bums are doing furry bum things. They are. Wake up. Rock. Steve says to wake up. You're a bum. He just picked his head up, looked, and went back to being a bum. So, so the new arrow screen, is it being used in the hybrid test cars? Or is that test just to make sure the hybrid bits work correctly and not related to the weight and balance? I don't know on the most recent tests. I do know for the one that I was at, there were the prototype 2.0 aero screens. At least the screen itself, the modified aero screen were on the cars. And I need to try uh, to get that video out just so you can see what it is. Um... But yeah, I don't know if they're on all the cars. There were four cars testing, four hybrid hot rods here at the most recent test. Uh, I don't know if all four had the 2.0 aero screens. I know that at least for the run that I was at, that debut run for them uh, in this, I think, kind of finalish spec in August in super hot and humid 
uh, Sebring. Definite positive feedback from Scott Dixon and Will Power, uh, but I don't know if they're on all the cars that are going to be testing here at Indianapolis, but I would have to think so, because if you're going to get real reads on things, you'd want it to be with all the 2024 spec stuff on the car, at least from a weight standpoint, to really know what you're dealing with. Um, Brett Keys, do you expect Bittnell to remain with Ed Carpenter Racing next season? See, a few of their off-season Instagram posts have been a bit interesting sounding. Um, I do. I've only heard they're continuing and really fired up and really engaged and motivated. Uh, And we continue to wait to see who they're going to hire to put in the 20 car. And congratulations to our guy, Renus VK, who just got married last weekend. So, yeah, I think everything's good, Brett. I've heard nothing so far to suggest that Bitna won't be back. Um, And I hope that remains that way for a super long time uh let's see andy bauer you're asking about any update or which way carpenter is leaning on their open seats no uh as he often does called ed carpenter left voicemails and as is his right uh ed was in no particular rush to return those um i don't uh i've heard every possible direction on leaning rasmussen's in askew's in Rasmussen's out. Askew's out. I couldn't tell you. Um, They know, I think, not the drivers, but the team at least. But, um, yeah, we'll see what they decide to do. Uh, They have great options in both directions. (sighs) Yeah. Was that enough of an unanswer? Sorry about that. Um, John Wojnar, you say... Was watching the WWE's Fast Lane from Indianapolis and saw two indie cars on stage wrapped in WWE graphics. Who supplied those? Is that Delara or a team? Uh, also, did the polycarbonate aero screen cause any backstage fights? Uh, I hope so. I believe those are from IndyCar, right? Uh, have seen those before. And yeah, I think it's IndyCar supplying those. Uh, but if I'm wrong and if it's Delara, then I'm sure someone will tell me. But um, yeah have seen the blue one uh plenty of places before and yeah i think they're just kind of the standard make available when requested uh hot rods uh lance snyder with indy cars on stage the wwe fast lane what two wwe superstars would you like to see actually drive them so hashtag me personally uh would love would have to go with alpha academy's chad gable and Maxine Dupree, while Otis engineers the cars and cleans out the competition on pit lane. And if you're not a fan of WWE, that's a whole bunch of words that make no sense to you and you give no crap about. I'll just say this. Uh, your nomination of Otis to engineer the car is kind of humorous. Um, yeah, you got to be able to bend over and reach stuff. And I don't know if I'd put Otis in that category. And I know I'm going to talk. Um, who would I love? <sighs> You know, most of my favorite WWE wrestlers are no longer there. Um, but I'd say Big E for sure, although he wouldn't fit. But yeah, right? New Day rocks. Um, Xavier Woods too, right? I mean, I'd, let's put all three. They're the namesake for the Prue Day. So got to go with the New Day. Come on, Snyder. It's a bit of a duh. You should have known that. Our pal Ryan asks, is Kiffin Simpson running the rookie oval test uh that would be a no ryan if you read my story last week mentioned that you'd need to run texas or some other place to get signed off on ovals first before the series would let him go to the biggest oval we race on dnix 72 mp with 100 focus in 2024 in the new 2.4 liter motors actually not uh they've been those 10 months ago so uh, it's just the energy recovery side. Uh, asks, do you know if IndyCar has a time frame and goal for a new chassis? You say literally every open wheel series is moving on with a new chassis, but IndyCar seems to move at a snail's pace on bringing the series into the 2020s. Hey, now. I mean, stop saying accurate things, please. I have no idea. Um, I kind of cringe when I want to think of wanting to ask because, yeah, I'm just going to get, yeah, heat. Uh, because they don't know. They don't know when they want to. It's not really a thing they talk about so much anymore. But uh, I'll ask and see if I get an answer. Uh, I've already moved below the red line of death, by the way, I I should mention. Um, 
Jared Henry, you actually have the final question here. Hello, Marshall. Thanks for the content you put together. That's sweet of you. Uh, with the recent Penske Foyt partnership, do you think Tony Stewart would do an Indy 500 program? Seems like a good option. Um, I know that there was some desire for that to happen somewhat recently. I don't know if it was his desire or others who desired him to do it, but yeah, never say never, but AJ, if, if you're going to do it, Tony and AJ is the guy you want to do it with. Like I wouldn't be waiting around, you know, I mean, time to act is now. So, uh, I'd love to see it. We know that AJ's his hero and, and there's so many things that he does in honor of him with his racing programs. But if there's a true desire on his part or AJ's part, you know, uh, get after it. Um, what else? Grant Stouter, who'd win in a bare knuckle brawl, Paul Tracy or AJ Foyt. If we're talking about in their prime, yeah, it's not even funny. It's AJ Foyt. Um, uh, what else? Right turn lever farm team seem to be all the rage in IndyCar now, which other teams are candidates to be farmed in? Yeah. Uh, no, Don Cusick's looking at wanting to do more with somebody. Uh, I know able motorsports is looking to do more. Um, not sure if I see any others that are jumping out immediately like that, but um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, for the rest of you, appreciate your questions. Apologize if I didn't get to them. I'll be back in a little under a week. Uh, should be home. I don't know, late Sunday, early Monday morning, something like that. So, if I didn't get to it, send it in, and we'll give it a whirl next week. And appreciate y'all and Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com and discount tire and i'll speak to y'all very soon